Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-NFL. And it's been a very eventful week in college football and throughout the NFL and in the sports landscape in general. We have Carson Wentz signing a massive extension with the Philadelphia Eagles that keeps him with the team for the foreseeable future. And that came with a lot of debate. And I know a lot of people were saying he hasn't been healthy to this point. But when Carson Wentz is on the field, there's no doubt that he is among some of the elite or upper-tier quarterbacks throughout the league. But it's just a matter of him staying healthy. That's been his biggest bugaboo so far throughout his career. But when he is completely healthy, there is no doubt that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and I firmly believe that he is one of the better younger quarterbacks and one that has one of the highest ceilings throughout the league as long as he stays healthy and that's why a lot of people were really questioning the timing of this extension but I think it was smart because his price could skyrocket if he's able to play a full 16 games and lead his team to the playoffs or that illustrious Super Bowl victory that a lot of people give Nick Foles credit for and rightfully so he did lead the team through their playoff journey I should say but the person that secured home field advantage and helped set them up in that situation was Carson Wentz. So this is a big year for him in 2019, and I'm expecting some big returns from him next season as long as he stays healthy, which has been the biggest concern for him. Also, we have the Raiders officially being named as the next team on HBO's Hard Knock series, and this is the team that everybody wanted to see. They have zero lack for storylines from Richie Incognito signing, Antonio Brown, Vontez Burfick. John Gruden is going to bring storylines in itself just because he is the $100 million man. Mike Mayock and his draft journey from being a big media member to the Raiders' official GM now and officially going through his first draft, which is something they might shed light on. I'm sure they're going to glorify a lot of the first-round rookies throughout the series as well. So a guy like a Jonathan Abram, looking forward to seeing him. As far as the younger guys that they do highlight, Derek Carr is probably going to have a big part in it as well. So I think this is the perfect team that HBO did choose for this series, and I'm looking forward to watching it, just like I have done in years past as well. We have a lot of GM hiring and firings this week. We have Joe Douglas officially being hired by the New York Jets, who was their top guy. And also we have Brian Gain being fired by the Houston Texans, and he's only been on the job for just over a year now. He officially took over in January of 2018, I believe it was. So he didn't get a lot of time on the job and that's something with these GM jobs that unfortunately happens to a lot of these individuals that eventually take them over is that you just don't get a second chance with these jobs and unfortunately with Brian Gain a lot of people were saying that it was unfair while a lot of people said it was it happened rightfully or the right way just because he hasn't done much to this point even though he uh, he just had over 365 days to really improve upon a roster that I don't want to say has a lack of talent but it is very weak in some spots specifically along the offensive line so I want to dive in a bit deeper to the GM hiring and firings, but also just to give you a rundown of some of the things that we're also going to talk about. We're going to continue my summer note series, and we're going to talk about three prospects today. Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State. A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end from Iowa. And also T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson. So those are the three prospects that we're going to glorify or talk about and put under the microscope on the second half of the show. But during the first half of today's show, I want to talk about these GM hiring and firings because 
There's a huge misconception out there about them and just how rare these jobs really are. Of course, there's only 32 across the league because there is 32 teams. So it is a very specific and particular situation to be in. And we're seeing so much turnover with these jobs. And some guys even only get a year, while some guys get five or six years. And they survive a ton of head coaches, even though they handpicked a lot of these guys. And that's exactly what's happened in the Houston Texans situation with Bill O'Brien. He's went through Rick Smith, and he's now going through Brian Gain. And now he's going to be on his third GM in over five years. So a lot of people are really pointing to the fingers to to Bill O'Brien and saying that this really is his fault and he really has too much power as far as as far as the power that head coaches are really given. Bill O'Brien really has too much and he's been known or he's been labeled as a guy that's really hard to work for and he's doing nothing to really silence those type of beliefs amongst people just because he's went through two general managers now and he's going to be on his third. We'll see exactly who they decide to name at this position. And I think Nick Casario, the the general manager, so to speak, for the New England Patriots right now, he's probably going to be their top guy on their list. And I know they want to bring in a candidate that has Patriots ties, even though the people that have branched away from the Patriots tree really hasn't had a lot of success to date, whether that's a head coach or even a general manager. So it will be an interesting fit if he does end up going to the Houston Texans and leaving a really sweet or nice spot like the New England Patriots just because he might want a bit more power. And Casario does have a lot of power with the New England Patriots. Don't make no mistake about that. But it's just different running your own show and just not having Bill Belichick in your shadow or that guy that's always in your ear trying to make or a guy you have to go through in order to make some of these type of moves. So the Texans have a lot of talent, and I don't want to take that away from them. They have J.J. Watt. Uh, Jadavian Clowney, of course, Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, the list goes on and on of the guys that they do have on the roster. So they have a lot of elite talent in spots, but the fillers and the surrounding talent just isn't great at this point. And they have to find a way to help Deshaun Watson. They had a league-leading 62 sacks allowed last year. Everybody has heard the stories about how he wasn't able to fly on planes last year to away games, Jacksonville specifically, where he had to take a train, I believe it was, to the game just because his abdominal area just couldn't survive the rigorous pain that it did take or that an airplane did take out of him. So that just goes to show you just the type of beating that he has taken during his the early stages of his career. But they are wasting away the years on his rookie deal. and We've seen the biggest weapon to roster building is that you have to take advantage of when these quarterbacks or these young quarterbacks are on their rookie deals. And the Texans have failed to do that with Deshaun Watson. And I know they have a couple of playoff appearances, and Bill O'Brien just seems to find a way to get that team going, even though they have slow starts in what it seems like every single year. But they have to find a way to help out Deshaun Watson outside of DeAndre Hopkins. He doesn't have a lot of help outside of that. But it starts up front, and I think there was a lot of disagreement with what happened with their first few selections. And I'm a fan of the Kahali Warren selection, the tight end out of San Diego State. I think he was a good pick. But you take Titus Howard in the first round, who's a massive project out of Alabama State, considering the the playing level that he came from. He didn't see a lot of upper echelon type of talent, and he was exposed a bit in a sense at the Senior Bowl. And that's exactly probably what you're expecting from him during the earlier portions of his career. The speed of the game is really going to surprise him a lot. And you don't want a guy like that protecting Deshaun Watson, specifically his blind side. We'll see if he does play right or left tackle. And that leads me to my next point, the free agent signing that they did have in order to sure up the offensive line was Matt Khalil. And we've seen a guy that just hasn't had the love for the game, and he's been banged up with severe knee injuries and had knee scopes in back-to-back years now. And what seems like he's been a shell of himself since being drafted with the fourth overall selection 
in 2012, I believe it was. So if that's the guy you're depending upon to protect Deshaun Watson's blind side, I think they're setting him up for failure. And then in the third round, they take another project in Max Sharping. And I know he's a 50-plus career game starter in assignment Northern Illinois, but he doesn't have a lot of experience as a run blocker. And his pad sets, I think he kind of cheated in a sense, and I don't want to say that. He did a lot of short sets. So as far as gaining depth and really trying to mirror the movements of those edge rushers that are speedy up the field, he just hasn't had a lot of exposure to that. So he's going to get a lot of action like that within a division considering the pass rushers that are within the AFC South. So there is a lot of experience and a lot of things that he has yet to experience, I should say, in that division and also the NFL is going to be a bit of a shock to both of them and Max Sharping and Titus Howard so I don't know where this team is going to go from there and it just seems like they're stuck in neutral and what I mean by neutral is that they're not going to get any worse but they're not going to get any better and they have enough talent to win I think seven to eight games in a sense but as far as getting more than that in the 9 10 11 range I just don't see that happening just because they don't have the supporting cast to help out Deshaun Watson and they have a good play caller in Bill O'Brien they seem to be a match but as far as them beating the upper echelon type of talent in the AFC and throughout the league I just don't see them being able to do that and Deshaun Watson they have to find a way to protect them I can't say that enough and that leads me to the flip side of this with the New York Jets and them bringing in Joe Douglas they gave him a six-year deal and that just goes to show you the type of patience that they're going to have with Joe Douglas. Adam Gase is the head coach, and we'll see how much power he does have as far as the roster and if he has the final say in the final 53-man roster overall. But you're bringing in Joe Douglas. You give him a six-year deal, as I alluded to earlier, and that shows that they're going to have patience with him. Everybody knows his resume and what he did with Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles and how they constructed that roster to now it being arguably, I think, the deepest in the NFL, one of the best throughout the entire league. And the Jets have plenty of talent on both sides of the ball. They already have their rookie signal caller in place and Sam Darnold. They bring in Le'Veon Bell to help him out. C.J. Mosley on the defensive side of the ball. And they have a bunch of other talent, even though they do have some bad contracts on that side of the ball. Tremaine Johnson was a terrible signing, in my opinion. Jamal Adams, who was another leader on that side of the ball, and also drafting Quentin Williams. So you have really good talent on all three levels of that defense. Now it's just a matter of filling in the surrounding talent. And I think they already have that a lot in place. I'm a big fan of Avery Williamson, who is a linebacker that's going to play opposite of C.J. Mosley. So they have a really bunch of really good fillers. Quincy Anunwa and Robbie Anderson on offense are I don't want to say upper-tier type of talents, but I think they're mediocre or middle-of-the-road type of receivers that can be productive for Sam Darnold. And I think Robbie Anderson still has another level to unlock in his game. But this is a roster that I think is very talented. And in the AFC East, a division that outside of the New England Patriots, I think it, it probably is wide open. And I think you have a cluster between the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills at this point, two teams that are really vying to really prove themselves now with a lot of roster turnover. And, I, of course, the Miami Dolphins, they're going to be in the basement of this division. But outside the New England Patriots, I think the fight for second in this division is going to be really interesting. But bringing in Joe Douglas and a proven guy that can evaluate talent and has had success in this league, I think this is a home run hire for the New York Jets. So I think the, the future is very bright. And turning this roster over to Joe Douglas now, as opposed to Mike McCagan, and I think – was a very, very good and high upgrade. And now it's just a matter of how this roster is going to click with Adam Gase. And we'll see how long his leash is now, considering Joe Douglas, he wasn't a hire of Joe Douglas. And with general managers, we know that they like to bring in their own guy. And Gase wasn't that 
for Joe Douglas, and he's going to bring in a really good staff as well as far as the scouting department and everybody who, who he wants to be overseas as his right-hand man. I think he has a lot of connections and has developed a lot of relationships throughout the league in order to build a very strong staff. And I don't know. I don't know how long Adam Gase's leash is going to be in New York. This may be a one-and-done situation that we're looking at, but that's really impossible to say at this point just because we haven't seen the results on the field yet just because this is his first year as the New York Jets head coach. So it's going to be a fascinating situation to watch. But as far as the hire of Joe Douglas, I think it was a home run for the New York Jets. Before I dive into the continuation of my summer notes on potential 2020 NFL draft prospects, which this week includes Eno Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State, T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson, and A.J. Epinesa, the edge rusher from Iowa, here's a word from our sponsors. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. And right now, Blue Wire Podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No matter ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers, you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter promo code BLUE. That's B-L-U-E. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. We are back and continuing on with my 2020 Draft Prospects Summer Notes segment. And for those of you that may be a new listener, have never listened to the podcast before, this segment is just dedicated to 2020 or potential 2020 Draft Prospects that I have been watching all spring and summer. And there's been a host of prospects that I have watched already, and they are littered throughout the previous shows episode so be sure to check that out if if you have not especially if you have a favorite prospect that you have maybe watched already just to get my initial thoughts and some things that I didn't really like so with that being said the first guy that I want to talk about is Eno Benjamin the running back from Arizona State and the very first word that I wrote down about him is elusiveness and that's the first word that came to mind when watching him especially against USC that was the one game that really came to mind Oregon is another game where he had a lot of success as well and something that you notice is that he relies very heavily on what I like to call freeze framing at the line of scrimmage so I hate comparing guys to elite type of NFL players, but he has a Le'Veon Bell type of running style in a sense. And what I mean by that is he has a slow to fast through type of approach where he likes to freeze frame and take a picture at the line of scrimmage before keeping the shoulder square and even with blockers. But he has the vision of being able to see the entire picture in front of him before really choosing a hole to go through. And he uses those running lanes as if they're access doors and he doesn't really like to present or really go through what's in the first door unless he really likes 
what's going on through that. And he is the master of the jump cut. So what he'll do is he'll jump cut in the door number one. And if he doesn't like that, he'll jump cut to door number two just to examine the picture. But he has the, the wherewithal and the acceleration abilities to really stick his foot in the ground and really go through that hole if it is a certain picture that he does like. And also he has the versatility. And he was often used as a threat in the passing game on quick screens and even swings out of the backfield. But he still seemed to be a bit unsure and indecisive on where to go on some of those route concepts, specifically when he wasn't really in the design or the play didn't really revolve around him. So I want to see him be a bit more comfortable in that area and have a bit more familiarity in that because I think he can be a surefire threat in the passing game and not just be used as a guy as a running threat. So I'm really excited about you know, Benjamin, I want to see him settle into some areas a bit more. And he has soft hands. I want to give that to him. So he's a really natural catcher of the football. But something else that I didn't notice, just some quick negatives that I wrote down about him is just overestimating. And what I mean by that is just being so reliant. And he had a lot of success on the jump cutting to new sectors. But it can become a bit of a hindrance for him. And there were a few times where there were some lanes present. But he just didn't trust or feel as if he had the time to run through the gauntlet or the hole that was there in order to come out clean. So just trusting what he sees and not getting too cute in a sense. That's something that you notice about him. He's had a lot of success with that jump cut in a sense. And he likes to overuse it and overestimating some of the holes that are already there or present for him as opposed to just running through through contact, lowering his pads and get <clears throat> excuse me, and getting some positive yardage. So instead he just likes to attack or he doesn't attack the vacancy that is there and he likes to execute a jump cut over to the next hole or into traffic and it resulted in minimal gains or even sometimes a complete loss of yardage and another thing that you notice is that he has a bit of a high pad level he's inconsistent with keeping a low center of gravity no matter where the area he's running within and something else I notice is that he doesn't have or I should say he doesn't he doesn't always show he has the power to thrive and condense the short yardage situations just because his pads are so high he doesn't or it, there's a lack thereof of having that power in a sense because he does have it but the reason he has it or he doesn't have it is because he has a high pad level all the time and he's able to use the momentum and lower his shoulder to fight for the hidden yardage and I would like to see that a bit more consistent with him and another small note that I wrote about him is that he carries the ball in his right hand a lot especially along the left sideline and Something that you really find out about that is that defenders are able, it's easy access to them and they can rip the ball out. So he has to find a way to carry the ball in his left hand a bit more. It could become a bit of a problem, but it hasn't been to this point. But it may be a flaw that may be exposed as he gets into his professional career. But overall, I'm a huge fan of Eno Benjamin. I think he's going to have a big year this year. He looks a bit bigger on film than what he is listed. I believe he's listed at about 5'10", 200 pounds, but he looks to be a much bigger back than that. He's very thick, very thick lower half, very well put together upper half as well. But I want to see him not be as cute and just be a bit more better of a runner in between the tackles and just hit it whenever it is there. But I like this film a lot, and I think he's probably going to end up definitely a top five running back in this class. But I want to see him put together another successful year in 2019. Moving to the other side of the country, and the next prospect that I want to talk about is T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson. And yes, I know Clemson has another first round worthy wide receiver and T Higgins is exactly that and I love this film and I think he's probably not in the same breath as guys like CD Lamb or Jerry Judy but he's right at the head of that next tier and the first thing that sticks out about him is his ability to make high layer catches 
And what I mean by high layer catches is that he has a background as a basketball player that's really littered throughout his game, specifically when he's attacking the ball out the out the air. He is very aggressive when really meeting the ball at his peak. And he has the height, length, and leaping combo in order to enter those levels that are just above and beyond his counterpart, his counterparts, I should say. And a great example of this is against Texas A&M. Trevor Lawrence just had the utmost confidence in him. He just laid the ball up there, and he was just able to suffocate and just enter those higher domains that defensive backs were not able to get to. And he makes a leaping catch, and he does so much with it after the catch. And I think that's an underrated factor about him is his speed. He's much faster than given credit for, and he can make things happen after the catch. 6'3", 210 pounds. He is a bit on the lighter side, and that's a negative I actually did write about him is that he needs to fill out his frame a bit more, but that will come over time but as far as being able to catch the ball and attacking the ball at his peak he definitely exuberates that and he has that above the rim mentality that's nearly unstoppable and he's an inaccuracy eraser and he's able to save poorly thrown passes out of non-optimal regions has very high awareness of levels along the sideline is able to maintain that imaginary line in order to keep those throwing windows open along the sideline so just going a bit more in depth about that and what I mean by that is just what I mean by holding the imaginary line is that a lot of times you see when receivers are running vertical, they get squeezed all the way to the sideline. So it really condenses the throwing lanes and it makes it really hard on quarterbacks. But what you notice with T. Higgins is that he keeps that five-yard highway from the bottom of the numbers to the out-of-bounds line. He creates a lot of margin of error, a lot of room for error for quarterbacks. And that was a great example from the Texas A&M game is that where he got a clean release, he was able to stack the defensive back or the cornerback that was really guarding him. And then Trevor Lawrence just threw the ball up and he trusted him to go get it. And there's a lot of other examples that are littered throughout his film. And that leads me to my next point about him is just his catch concentration. He's shown to have success in various types of situations, especially when defenders come down to challenge him and there's only a slight amount of airspace. He's really able to take advantage of it and still still able to haul in those catches. Even when defenders are draped on his body, he has the firmness in order to still attack the ball out of the air. And that's something that you love to see from big receivers. And I know big receivers have to be able to separate. And T. Higgins is definitely able to do that. But where he really excels is his catch concentration and really being able to go over top of these defenders and be that high-octane option that Clemson really likes to use him in a sense. And that leads me to my next point of his off-the-line creativity and explosion are exceptional. He mixes up his approach and is able to decipher the techniques that really the opposite, the opposition are really trying to use against him. And when defenders really try to get aggressive with him, he has a really nice arm swipe that he likes to incorporate in his moves off the line of scrimmage. And he has a combination of a quick foot fire and a stutter that he likes to use. He really follows that with the initial movements by really firing his hands, depending on really where the target areas of the defensive backs are. And he's exceptional at fighting through pressure and squatting or swatting, I should say, the hands of matchups away from his body. And he keeps his runway and his route stems clean by remaining physical due to his hand usage within those routes. So with him and then his frame, he has to be able to stay clean just because he doesn't have the body armor really in order to fend off those guys if they're able to get inside of his chest. So with him being able to play through contact and staying clean on these route stems while going through his routes, I think that's definitely a key trait with him. And even though the spider's linear and thin frame, he's able to maintain that upper body level of type of playing strength. And he has the ability to fend off contact throughout his route stems. And then once securing the ball, he's able to look and make something happen with yards after the catch attempts. And once again, I keep going back to this game because it's a prime example of Texas A&M. And there's a lot of other games where he has 
just these glimpses of how dangerous he can be after the catch. So he's not just this tall guy that's going up over defenders and boxing them out and attacking the ball out of the air. He is a really good route runner, and he has these strong hands that you love to see. And I know he's going to be fighting some reps or some catches with Justin Ross next year, who's the really talented receiver opposite of him that isn't eligible until the 2021 class. But I think he probably is the best receiver or most polished receiver on that roster, I should say, just because of how good he is prior to the catch point. And I'm really interested to see exactly how he separates himself between those top guys. And with this receiving class being so talented, I want to see a guy like him rise to the top because I think he probably has one of the higher ceilings of any of these guys just because of his height, weight, speed combination of what he brings to the table. So keep an eye on T. Higgins and that explosive Clemson offense. The final prospect that we'll get to on today's series is Iowa defensive end A.J. Epinesa, a guy that I didn't have a lot of prior knowledge to studying, but he really exploded on Twitter after a lot of Iowa faithful really started to tweet out some clips of him just being dominant at the point of attack in the line of scrimmage. And you really wouldn't ever notice him if you ever just watch Iowa because he only played 35% of their snaps a year ago. And he's been in a reserve role behind Anthony Nelson, um, who was a draft pick of theirs last year. But he had four and a half sacks two years ago. But last year, he went all the way up to 10 and a half sacks and 16 and a half tackles for loss. So that just goes to show you the type of impact that he has had in a limited amount of time. And a lot of people are really looking forward to seeing what he can do now in a full-time role. The team's first five-star prospect since 2005. So he came onto campus and into Kinnick Stadium with a lot of hype. And he has lived up to it to this point, even though he hasn't been a starter or a starter of any game yet to date, but he's going to get, he's going to have an ample opportunity in 2019. And a lot of eyes are going to be on him because he's 6'6", 280 pounds. He possesses a fantastic blend of bend, size, power, and arm length. And he loves to win up the field. That's really where a lot of his wins come from. Now, he still needs to develop a repertoire of moves that he really is comfortable with. But as far as his hand usage, I think it is already there. And he already is a big ball of moldable clay. And that's what you love to see about some of these gifted edge rushers. And with Epinesa, he has the size that you can't teach. Like I said, he's 6'6", 280 pounds. He looks every single inch and every single weight or every single pound of that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does do as a full-time starter in 2019. Fantastic story. And I wrote about this on the Draft Network. I put up a piece yesterday that really did explode because his father actually shared it. And he reached out to me and thanked me for it because... I love just sharing background information on some of these guys because all we know of these guys is with their helmets on, but we really don't know the background story and how they really got to this point. So that really is the whole purpose of the profiling series that I'm running on draft on the draft network right now. So if you haven't already, be sure to give that a read. It really sheds a lot of light on just his journey to this point, how he wasn't really allowed to play football until fourth grade. That's something that his parents really kept from him. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does do now as a full-time starter in 2019. And he's a guy that definitely could be one of those guys that has a star beside their name as a potential top 10 pick as we head into next April. And that's it. That's this week's show. We've covered a lot of things from Joe Douglas to the New York Jets to Brian Gain to the Houston Texans, or getting fired from the Houston Texans, I should say. And just GM hiring and firings, my initial thoughts about that and some of the things that go into the actual business side of things and the unfortunate things that do happen with these NFL jobs. And that's what happened with Brian Gain and now Joe Douglas being hired by the New York Jets. 
Some prospect profiles we went over, you know, Benjamin, the running back from Arizona State, A.J. Epinesa, the defensive end from Iowa, and also T. Higgins, the wide receiver from Clemson. There's a lot of other things on the docket for next Friday's show. I don't want to give it away right now exactly who we're going to go over, but I want to give a sneak peek to an article that I do have coming out on Monday that I think is going to be phenomenal that I can't wait to get out to you guys. I'm actually having a sit-down interview with Georgia running back DeAndre Swift, and he's going to walk me through some things. Some things that we did cover was how he feels as the next man up, at running back you in a sense uh the factory that georgia has created at that position now that he's in the shoes at the as the top running back there as a full-time starter for the first time ever has i just wanted to get his thoughts on that his 2019 expectations and also just how he is able to make guys miss so easily in space with his deadly dead leg move that he likes to use and he walked me through exactly how he sets guys up and executes that so be on the lookout for that but once again, I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at JReedNFL. You can find my work on the DraftNetwork.com, also ClimbingThePocket.com. Make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to this podcast, subscribe, leave a five-star review. And once again, thank you guys for listening.